0: the skates to throats it's a geek vibes podcast this is your host chris Patton. uh i got my friend and co-host uh dakota LaShock. <laughs> thank you thank you very much uh how are you doing man how, how's your week been
1: uh it's not too bad um if i sound like shit it's probably because i'm getting sick um uh, it's been a good week my birthday is this week so i'm uh not really looking forward to it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a good week. I tried several times to listen to our first podcast only to realize I hate the sound of my voice and couldn't make more than like 15 minutes into each time listening.
0: <laughs> well, I thought it was a pretty good show. I guess we'll see what other people think. Um, last week, I was out in L.A. actually staying near the Staples Center. You, uh, yeah, As most, I guess, L.A. Kings fans would know, the home of the L.A. Kings, Um And it's just been I've been crazy jet jet lagged and kind of like you, I'm getting a little sick, too. So if my voice breaks up uh, a bit here on this podcast, I apologize. (laughs) Let's get into this, man. Uh, We got some news. We'll start there. Yeah, totally. Uh, Joe Thornton is re-signing with the San Jose Sharks. Obviously a legend. Um, Makes sense. It seems like they're kind of putting back that top A line uh, to play together again um with pavelski i believe also signed so that's going to be jumbo joe and pavelski kind of the one and two that has i mean to me it's been associated with the sharks almost as you would associate uh you know timu um (laughs) just with how long they've been there and and in that top line um let me get the the numbers for this contract uh it's it's from what i can see that you know they have 4.68 million left i um, trying to get the, the number for his uh, <laughs> actual signing, but I, I don't actually see it in the TSN article. But it uh, looks like they were able to get this done, so we're going to get to see, you know, uh, Merlot, Joe Thornton, those guys back together. Any thoughts on that, and uh, are you excited that Jumbo Joe re-signed
1: with Sharks? I'm very excited. I love Joe Thornton. He's one of my favorite players in the modern game. Um, just a classy guy all around. That's a great line. Um, it's, I see, this is, I, I thought this was kind of going to be his last season. Um, but I'm glad to see him re but I think if, uh, I, I think that's why he's doing these one year deals is just cause I think he's getting close to that retirement, that retirement age. He just wants to give it one more try and they did it. They did a damn good job last season and I really want to see him do it again. I hate that they beat the Vegas Golden Knights the way they did, but uh, I was still glad to see them go as far as they did. That team deserves it more than anything. That city deserves it. It's a great fan base.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like they've kind of, you know, as good as that line is in the past, you know, 10 years or so, um, they've kind of gotten almost there, you know, mm. and they've never quite gotten the cup. Uh, is Pete is Pete DeBoer still their coach out there? PD, PDD? Uh,
1: I believe he is. I'll have to double check that, but I believe he is still their head coach.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I think that's the case. He was the coach for yeah. the Devils, and it's it's just crazy to think that one coach can go to, you know, go to a team and and take them to the Stanley Cup twice, two different teams, and lose, which <laughs> it's really for. For Pete DeVore, it sucks because you took two different teams there and uh, haven't haven't quite been able to get over the uh, threshold here. It is a one year contract, like you said. Um, it looks like the cap hits five million dollars, so five million dollar yeah. deal. That's pretty much standard for Joe Thor, and I think it's been kind it was kind of last year it was eight million. Oh um, well, yeah,
1: he's earned that at this point.
0: Yeah, and that, that's kind of was a if I remember, you know, that was eight million for one year. He's kind of just you know in the, the contract before that was a three year deal, so you can kind of see um, he's definitely winding down. And I mean, Joe, Joe Thornton, obviously, I believe will to me will end up in the Hall of Fame. He's uh, easily. He's thirty nine years old, man. He's uh, he went, uh, He's he,
1: one of the. He's like the last player from the ninety seven. I want to say draft class that are still playing. Yeah, it's he's, he's been around for a minute and he's a great player, he's a great dude, he leads that team. Like, if you ever watch any of these Sharks, uh, like behind-the-scenes stuff, like, kind of like what they do with the Boston's with the behind the bay. uh, dude's just an all-around leader. Like, it's crazy. When, uh, Pavelski was injured during the postseason, uh, this past season, I believe, uh, Thornton was the one that went in there, and I think he said, uh, you guys better score three fucking goals for Joe. Um, and they came out and they did it. The guys just a hell of a leader, and someone I definitely see going into the Hall of Fame with no question.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he a hell of a leader, and um, you know, he great know, beard he, too. Yeah, great that's beard. what I, that was the other thing I was going <laughs> to say is that that beard is uh, legendary. Exactly, it he is has legendary status. Any more th- thoughts on on Joe Thornton? I think we kind of covered where they're sitting, but.
1: Yeah, no, I got a i said, I said what I needed to say. I think the world of the guy, and I can't. Uh, if this is his last season, uh, I hope to. I hope to hell he goes out on a high one.
0: Yeah, and I mean, last season he did okay. Uh, it was what he had: sixteen goals, thirty-five assists, fifty-one points. Obviously, you know the reason he's getting five million is because of how important he is to that team, more mm-hmm. than anything else. Because at this point, I don't think he's a five million dollar player. Um, out, outside of the intangibles, uh, you know, it, like things like leadership and, and just the fact that he's been with that team so long. But uh, I'm glad to see him play one more season. If this is the last season, hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll get maybe get back at least to the final, like you know, their division finals. Um,
1: oh yeah, they've got a, they've got three solid lineups that can easily take them at least to the playoffs. I mean, we saw it last last season. I just I. Uh, uh, what you were saying about their uh, their head coach uh, Pete the coming from New Jersey—it's kind of the opposite situation of what happened with uh, Craig Berube. Uh, Craig Berube <laughs> was the head coach of the Flyers for a while, and uh, he he got us to the playoffs a couple of times, but uh, he managed to go to St. Louis and bring them the Stanley Cup, and I thought that was crazy. Yeah, just worked yeah. for some coaches.
0: So I mean, we we obviously we talked a little bit about um, Luongo uh last week and in his retirement and how we thought you know obviously Mm -hmm. he's probably he's he's probably going to end up going into the hall of fame i would think Uh, Uh, yeah he's not
1: up there with Broder, but he's on that list
0: yeah he's he's that's
1: someone you heard
0: he's a good goaltender um obviously only really had one shot at a cup which was uh 2011 which um, as everyone knows they uh the big bad Boston Bruins beat them in game seven and, uh, Vancouver burnt the fucking city to the ground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, all, all jokes aside with, uh, Vancouver torching itself. Um, Robert Luongo, he, the Florida Panthers come out, you know, two months after his retirement and immediately say, Hey, this is going to be the first player, um, in our team history to have the number retired. And, uh, you know the T S this T S N article here is going into you know the Vancouver Canucks uh, a, a Canadian spokesperson told uh, Patrick Johnston of the Vancouver Sun Wednesday that there are no current plans for the franchise to honor Luongo um he just notes uh roberto had an outstanding nhl career and was some uh was part of some of the biggest moments in canucks history the spokesperson said in the email we're sure his name will be included in future discussions however we don't have any current plans for the upcoming season so to me this just is like this is the kind of news this is is it's the summer right and uh yeah uh, i would assume that vancouver would uh would honor him, but, you know, he kind of got shipped out of there not so gracefully. And strangely enough, Vancouver lost kind of both of their starting goaltenders because they ended up trading uh, Snyder to the Devils after that, um, after Luongo left. So it, they, they kind of, uh, that was around, I guess that was the 2014 season. Uh, it's it's a little weird. I mean, it was a, in 2014, I know he had like a very tumultuous season with the Canucks, and uh, that's like I said, they kind of just shipped him out. Uh, I think it's great that that Florida's as picking a player, a first player to retire a jersey from. Um, he's not a bad one, and if they if they wanted to do like one and two in, in the same night, you could probably, I mean. I, I, at this point, I think the NHL should retire Yager's jersey because he's played for so many damn teams. But
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could you could I'll make the argument. Be, uh, yeah. yeah, I'll just go to the NHL headquarters and retire his jersey there. It's just like he played for every team, so we don't really have a home for him. <laughs> well,
0: they did that with Gretzky. Like Gretzky was so great, they just retired the entire. Like no one can wear the number ninety nine, right? So yeah, that's. that's at this point, that's kind of what you would have to do with Yachter, yeah. but what I wanted to do two players this year. They could, uh, because I mean, I guess this to me, this is your first player, and in, in honoring someone like Roberto Luongo as a goaltender, um, and it being your very first, that's that's not a that's not bad at all. That's that's very to no, me, that's, that's a good choice.
1: It's a class move by them, and I'm glad they, uh, I'm glad they chose a player as great as Roberto Luongo to do this for. Now, as for Vancouver. <sighs> I, I can't see them not honoring the guy. Uh, he was associated with the Canucks. Like, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard that stupid NHL TV ad where it was uh, Luongo stands on his head. It was just a, a classic Luongo defending a great goal. Like, <laughs> you know, like, the guy's a legend, and when you are a legend and you are associated with that team, I I can't see them not doing it. That's like when uh, Calgary finally retired uh, Jerome and Ginla's number. Like it's it might take some time, but I can't see them not doing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, to put this in perspective for people who maybe are new to hockey or, or just haven't really followed the long at all, they, as a goaltender, he had 489 career wins, 392 losses, um, and 77 shutouts, which is pretty respectable. These are respectable very respectable numbers.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, his career <laughs> stayed, yeah. is
0: nine Like... Uh, Damn good goaltender, and I think, like like you said, I think it's a very classy move by Florida. And um, if I'm Vancouver, you should follow suit because that, to me, since the, the Sabines left or retired, they haven't really had a whole lot to be excited about in no. that town. Maybe a Jersey retirement will at least get the fans into the building. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: I can't see them having too many left, but yeah, it'd be a would be a good move for them. Um, yeah, it would leave a bad taste in my mouth if they if they did it, um, just just because of the association of Luongo with the Canucks for the longest time. Like you, you got to do that, man. It's, it's just, I don't know, but I I definitely applaud the Florida Panthers for doing it because that's that's a hell of a move on their part.
0: Yeah, I guess the next thing I wanted to get into is um, just talking a little bit about you know are the Jets. And we've been talking about Mitch. We talked about Mitch Marner on the last show. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the Winnipeg Jets have two contracts they have to get done with Connor and Laine. Um, they got to get them signed. And basically, you know, it, it, it to me, it's they're waiting, right? It's a waiting game. It's going to see who's going to fall first. If this is going to be Mar- or Mariner or Marner, or uh, Laine. And I, obviously just like the Marner deal, you have to get this done before the season. Um, I don't know, you got any thoughts on, on this holdout or yeah.
1: um these holdouts are uh that's the thing with these holdouts. Like I mean I get players want more money and stuff, but I mean you're hurting it, it hurts the team when you when they do this. Uh like I, I do get the reasoning behind it sometimes. Um and sometimes you are genuinely hoping for a better deal or a better team. Um but when teams like like and this is an incredibly unpopular opinion. I hate the Winnipeg Jets with an absolute passion. Um and I hate them because that's the team that the Atlanta Thrashers became and ever since they became that I can't stand them. Uh but yeah, you you guys aren't doing anything but hurting yourself if you're just going to keep holding out until the beginning of the season cuz so that takes away valuable training time and then it takes a minute for that player to get up to speed with what the rest of the team is doing. Um so yeah, it's definitely a deal that needs to get done with a quickness. Uh, you know, whether or not they do it, uh, I guess it remains to be seen. I think your audio is muted. Yeah, so
0: with with Blaney, I think more so than Connor, you have to get that deal signed before the beginning of the season, before you get too many games into this thing, because if Without him, like like I said previously, that team is not the same team, um, and you know it's gonna it would cost them games, and you don't want to start out, you know, losing over half of your games at the beginning of the season or falling uh, yeah. falling behind in any kind of deficit. Exactly. Uh, so I, it's it's. This is this is going to become the new norm, just like it is uh, in football, unless they fix this in the uh, the next player association and the collective bargaining agreement for that. But, I mean, look at this. I mean, we're 45 days out till the first hockey game. Exactly. And these are not, like, little contracts that no, are coming. These are major big-name <laughs> contracts that come with a hefty price tag. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's just going to be a lot that, that has to get done. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. It's interesting. Obviously, right now with it being off season, outside of these holdouts, there's not a a ton to talk about uh, news wise. But um, I guess a big thing uh, as far as signings go, the Hurricanes signed uh, Waddell to an extension as their GM, which I think makes a lot of sense uh, with the run yeah. that they've had and and kind of how they rebuilt that team, um, which is pretty nuts.
1: Yeah, it's uh. And I have nothing but great things to say about the Carolina Hurricanes. Obviously, you know I'm a huge fan of Rod Brindamore, Uh Great coach, great GM. He made all the right moves. Um, you know, I, I definitely think they have the capability to do what they did last season into this season. I just hope they push further and don't don't lose out like they did. Yeah, you know, like they did this past season because that was that was pretty that was pretty heartbreaking to get that far and then get swept out to sea by the freaking Bruins.
0: Yeah and uh
1: yeah it it was and and like what what they lost
0: in game did, did they they didn't get swept right I'm trying yeah. to remember yeah they got swept <laughs> they got swept yeah I thought they, for for whatever reason I thought they lost in game five they at least got a win but yeah like you said they did kind of yeah, they got swept uncer ceremoniously um, leave after kind of shocking everybody yeah that victory, over, victory over the Islanders right I, I don't think yeah. I don't think anyone really saw that coming in the playoffs last year. I know I didn't. That wouldn't have been a way I would have threw a sports bet down. But uh.
1: and that's the way that that's the way that whole postseason went from every team. Like it, that, this entire last postseason, I think, was probably one of the best I've ever seen, just because it was literally anyone's game. And if you don't believe that, just look who won the Stanley Cup: the St. Louis Blues, who are dead last in the league at December, came all the way back to win the Stanley Cup. That's an absolute hockey storyline if I've ever heard one.
0: Yeah, it was. It's it was. It's definitely a little bit strange um, it, it, as far as the playoffs went last year. Because like, if you would asked me at the beginning of the season if I thought the Bruins were anywhere close to sniffing getting that deep into the playoffs, I would have told you you were insane. Just because you know Chara's very old. They uh, have an old core of forwards. They to me they haven't really added a ton of new pieces. It's kind of just your standard, here's our Boston Bruins team um, that they've had for years and years. And um, apparently that works this year.
1: Uh, I think it speaks to the the offensive coordinators and the defensive coordinators and the coaches. I mean, it, it speaks to what they do, how they do their job, if they can keep a team like that going. And, you know, I was a, I was rooting for them in the Stanley Cup I mean it was I I liked seeing the St. Louis Blues win again Craig Barubi um but it's kind of heartbreaking to see them lose like that but like I, it, it in this game of hockey nowadays it is really anyone's game because the game has gotten so technical and so fast that it's it's not a matter of ah oh, this team's been terrible for years they're going to be terrible you could have a team like the Edmonton Oilers and I'm not I'm not saying the Edmonton Oilers are going to do much this season I don't think they are um, but they could they could theoretically if they have the right coaches and the right play style they could make a run into the playoffs like it's anyone's game now. Yeah,
0: and with Ed, with Edmonton, I mean they they're that example. You know, they're going to live and die by McDavid. If McDavid has a good year, yeah,
1: exactly, they are going to ride that horse until he's gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as he's as long as his legs are still attached to his uh, his waist, he should yes. be he should be all right. Um, all right, so I mean, I guess. It's kind of crazy to think about. We'll talk about um, a, you know Marner here a little bit. I don't want to get t- it too much into that contract holdout because it. I, I, if we do that every week, we're going to end up talking about it. <laughs> but uh, it was brought Another up. The Marner that,
1: holdout podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so um, Tavares did a uh, did a charity event for Nick, uh, Nick uh, Falingo's charity event on uh, I guess it was on Sunday last Sunday, and uh, they basically he he was asked about. You know, if he thought Matthews or, or him should be or, you know, Matthews or um, bleh, Mariner or him or, you know, should be the captain. And he basically says uh, – and, and they also mentioned, you know, Dion Phaneuf is the last person that held the sea and, um for the Maple Leafs. They haven't put a yeah. captain on their team in four years, which seems kind of nutty, but also, like, I don't – you know, you – in the locker room, that doesn't matter as much, right? Like, you, you no. know, you've got the guys that are going to speak up and be that, exactly. that guy. I mean, Tavares, to me, was pro- on that team probably is that guy now. Uh, but he just said it's basically, I think it's very special and a significant role being with the Maple Leafs and the history of it. Uh, there hasn't been one here for a little while, so certainly there can be a lot made about about it. Uh, but we have so many good quality people and players in our locker room. We know it's not going to change. Uh, so like basically, you know, he he, he just kind of deflected it a little bit. And and then he said, I think how we go about our daily business or how we focus for the season and how we prepare, we just kind of be together, work together, try to help each other. When management feels that it's right, they'll make that happen. So he, he kind of just like played it off as, uh, you know, we're we have captains. We're all a team. The captaincy doesn't mean that much, but uh, I I think they do need to put the C on someone. I don't necessarily think that it needs to be Tavares. Um, uh, I think that he's probably the best choice just as a veteran presence and a well-respected player in the league. But I don't know how you wouldn't put it on Matthews, and if you don't put it on Matthews, does he feel slighted? Because Connor McDavid
1: definitely has the C in Edmonton. Well, well, yeah, Connor McDavid also puts up the numbers, and it's just a hell of a person in general, and that's why he's wearing the C. Not saying that Austin Matthews isn't also that person, but uh, Tavares, if they put the C on him, I think he would literally never be able to step foot on Long Island again. Uh, he would be murdered on site. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, I it's, it's
0: kind of like that already, right? I, I mean, my yeah, thing is well, that I mean, it's not a long, he's not going to be a long-time Maple Leaf. Like, how long does Tavares no. have left in his career?
1: Yeah, uh, I think this is where he wanted to end his career. Again, he grew up in Toronto. This is his hometown team. So, I mean, I know for me, I personally, I would love to play for my hometown team. I'd love to play for the Flyers. But, uh, yeah, I, I just – I don't think he wants the C. <laughs> and I think <laughs> – because this goes back to what I was saying last week, Uh, there's already so much pressure on that team, like an ungodly amount of pressure by the media of Toronto, by the TV, by the radio, everything. It's all a direct spotlight on them. And when you give someone the captain, the the captaincy, uh, you're adding extra pressure on them because now the media is going to look to you specifically because you're not leading this team the way that you were designated to do. And I kind of agree with them not giving the captaincy and the alternate captains. Uh, I think it takes that little bit of pressure off of them. But if they were to do that, I would like to see Austin Matthews have it. Or, uh, I, Hell, even I would give the A to Morgan Riley because he's a hell of a defenseman, and he, he's a great player all around.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, it just it, – it... It almost comes it's down. It's weird. To, it, yeah, it's a weird it, situation. Do you, Do you put it on Matthews because he's your future? I mean, he's the building block, the player that they're going to be building around for kind of years to come. And you know, they I, that contract he's getting the next contract he gets is probably going to lock him up for eight years. So
1: yeah, definitely,
0: they're not going to let him go. <laughs> you kidding? <laughs> So uh, yeah, I mean, like to me, if he if he's your future and he's respected in the locker room as they've talked about, and you look at his stats and numbers, you could do that. But then also you are putting that pressure on him with it being in Toronto. Um, that's why from from some standpoint it makes sense that it's Tavares because he's not going to get get shook if uh, if the no. media is blaming him for losses. And also I don't think they would um, just because he's you know he's, he's still going to have a good season next year. Yeah. Um, so, for me, that he kind of makes sense. Uh, I like the idea of putting it on Matthews, and I think that he would probably like that, um, considering that him and Connor McDavid are always kind of just going to be linked together uh, when you talk, right, um, about that draft class or those two, yeah. you know. So, <clears throat> I don't know. if he, Hopefully, he doesn't feel like he's, he would be slighted if he's not chosen as the captain. That would be my only worry.
1: I don't think it would be. Uh, Austin Matthews is a classy dude as it is. I don't think he would, he'd take something like that personally.
0: <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, that's all of the news that I have. Uh, did you have anything that, you, that maybe I missed or you want to talk about before we get into the next section of our show?
1: No, I was going to bring up the uh, that Calgary Juicy, uh, I, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name, but... Uh, like I was looking at his stats and stuff. So I mean, like he tore his ACL. He's a young player. He'll bounce back from it. Uh So, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it cuz we have we have some great stuff to get into as it is. Uh, yeah, but yeah.
0: Yeah, with uh for me. I, obviously I don't watch Calgary that closely, uh but Mm-mm. this is a this is a probably a big deal. I mean, this got to be a big deal for them um because to me he's he's what I, last year I believe he was playing on their second or their top line defense, which is gonna mean that they they don't have um i don't know where they're gonna backfill that from that that's the uh you know i guess if you could you got you know ben ben hutton's out there derek Forbort. yeah um carl Gunnars- Gunnarsson, gunnerson if they wanted to try to you know maybe make a trade or something um Joe Morrow is an unrestricted free agent. There's there's some names out there, but there's not like one set uh, number one with a bullet guy that they can go out there and get, or not that I can think of, uh, to to fit that role without super overspending. Because that's going to be the other thing is yeah that's <clears> a hit. yeah. But uh, I guess he'll I guess you know at least when you have a player that's like a thirty, you know, they talk about when you talk about signing these thirty year old defensemen. Yeah. If, if something like tearing an ACL comes happens, you can at least put them on long-term IR and move that cap money around, but with like these young rookie deals, I mean, he's 20 years old, right? he yeah, just came he into yeah, 2000, <laughs> 2017, so he's basically, you know, he's not making enough that it's even going to matter for Calgary as far as it goes. Like, they can't move that money around, so no. uh, I don't know currently what their cap situation is. Um, let's see if we can pull that up because that that's actually kind of the interesting thing here is the is, issue they get. I, I can't pull it up right now but that I mean that would be the only caveat would be uh, who, who, who can they try to backfill with and uh, obviously that's it always sucks to see a player tear their ACL because it, it can go yeah. a few different ways depending on where you know how it's torn. Um, on what kind of recovery you'll make. I mean, you know, living here in Atlanta, everyone remembers Jamal Anderson had an amazing season. Falcons go to the Super Bowl, and the next year he tears his ACL and kind of just was done for the rest of his career. So that's always been my nightmare.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can add to that by saying watching Carson Wentz have the amazing season that he did only to uh, also tear his ACL and have Nick Foles come in and fill for him and do the thing that he did, I... I haven't seen Carson Wentz play exactly the way he, he did, but I mean it's it's a whole new season and they could uh, uh they could do something with it. But yeah, I, we've been in that exact situation. Yeah, yeah. So that's I mean that's always the worry
0: with the with the ACL. But hopefully he's young yeah. and he's gonna have a whole season to recover from it. Um at least it happened at the start of the season, so you're not Yeah. You're
1: There's, not time. There's time. There's time for him to recover and get back up to speed. So, like I said, this I mean, as long as recovery goes well you should you should be able to bounce back from this pretty well,
0: yeah, so okay, yeah, for people that haven't listened to the show, we generally you know we're we're gonna try to talk about rivalry each week, sometimes there'll be big rivalries, sometimes it'll be small, sometimes they might just be two players that don't like each other, uh, but you know, last week we did Flyers versus Devils. Which was more just because uh, I'm a Devils fan, you're a Flyers fan. Uh, our other co-host who can't wasn't be, wasn't able to be with uh, with us today, Sean. Uh, he's obviously a Devils fan, so it made the most sense for that to be the first rivalry. But to mm-hmm. me, this is the actual first rivalry, right? I think this is probably. I mean, it's going to be an ongoing series. Um, yeah. And
1: basically, we're just going to call this hockey versus communism. That's the (laughs) that's the. Such a huge part of hockey history. Like (laughs) there are like going back and watching these documentaries. There are so many moments that just defined hockey in general, and so many players that had lasting impacts on hockey. That did things specifically in this game that had lasting impacts on hockey.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it was nuts. Just just doing the research for this uh, for this you know topic we're about to get into in general um like you said there's tons there there was there's tons of good documentaries even out on youtube there's a there's a few really really great ones i'm trying to think of the what was the one that that i sent you
1: the one you sent me that i just watched uh i watched today was cold war on ice that was really good yeah
0: Um, cold Cold war on ice i think i liked a little better uh than there there's a few out there but cold war on ice was the the way it was put together was yeah it was really good really really good So highly recommend that, uh, that, you know, uh, if you guys get a chance, maybe watch that if you're interested once we get done talking about it. But uh, obviously, this all stems from the fact that the Canadian amateur players were basically getting their ass kicked in the Olympics and Mm -hmm. uh, by the Soviets, who no one kind of really knew anything about, except that they were a really good international team and they're not professionals. I mean, it's called the Red Army because technically they were part of the army, um, even though they basically were professional players, if you look at it. Uh, and, and it to keep in mind, this is before you had the ability to just have professionals in the Olympics. This was before, you know, the NBA dream teams and the, and the NHL letting their players go. Um, mm-hmm. It was considered, you know, to be an Olympian, you had to be considered an amateur. Uh, so... You had this kind of this uh, so Soviet Union army based team that did nothing but train, eat, sleep, and breathe hockey. Uh, exactly.
1: For eleven months a year I read. That's yeah, all they did was just practice, practice, practice.
0: Yes, and uh it, and it, like I said, from like the fifth, well, I think it was their their first their first Olympic was went in the fifties, their first win. Yeah,
1: I think it was nineteen fifty Six, I want to say I couldn't find any stats on the actual game, but I believe that's when it was.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that was the big I mean, that's the big thing is that there was a journalist who basically came out and said uh, actually a Russian journalist who said they should do uh, Russia versus Canada because I think we have a better style of hockey. Uh, and, and if you look at today's game, it does lean a lot more towards that Russian style of hockey than what uh, <laughs> what what uh, what the the NHL boys. was doing at the time with the Broad Street Bullies and the Big Bad Bruins and uh, your your Bobby Bobby Clark's of the world and your Gordy Howells and your and your and your Bobby Holes. But basically, that sparked the conversation, and the next thing you know, um, the NHL's Canadian players uh, getting paid only on the hockey pension fund basically not getting paid to be professional players came out to came out to, to i guess start working out and yeah. have game 1 of the summit series uh, and uh like so that's this is that's where it kind of gets a little crazy um
1: <laughs> i mean this whole series is a roller coaster ride right, from start to finish yeah on both sides
0: so right off the bat, going into game one, which is September 2nd, 1972, uh, Canada, basically the way they handled it was assigned the first four games in Canada, and they were uh, they were the home team for all the games in Canada, while well, the Soviets would be the home team in Moscow, so basically home and away, but they, they didn't fly back and forth. Um, the Soviets... Wouldn't release their lineup until they had seen their opponents uh, the the uh, the order the order of the lineup considering that they were the visiting team into a foreign country uh, the official scorer had to to go into the Soviets dressing room and demand their lineup prior <laughs> prior because they they I'd
1: just be scared to go in there
0: <laughs> uh, didn't didn't want to put it out so that kind of changed what Russia did with their begin, with their opening line. Um, and they didn't start uh, Karmalov, who we're going to talk about a lot through this. I mean, there's yeah, he's just a big part of this. Uh, um, and, and, and right off the bat, you get Phil Esposito scoring 30 seconds into the game. I, he's the original Phil the Thrill man. <laughs> <laughs> so many moments. Uh, yeah, he, he scores 30 seconds into the game. And everything that canada had said about hockey in the in the eyes of the fans kind of comes true at that moment uh if you think about it because they you're 30 seconds in and you score against russia well, during the cold
1: this, yeah this is the thing i was uh, that i learned about the whole the whole build up to this series everyone was thinking oh russia's going to sweep them it's going to be a clean sweep and maybe they'll win or uh, canada will sweep them it'll be you know maybe russia'll get one in one win in Nobody, they weren't really taking these Russian players as seriously because nobody really knew how they played. And they've seen the way that Canada plays and how they, how these Canadian NHL players do business. Um, and they were leaning heavily on them. And especially when they scored that first goal, it just seemed to, uh, like, confirm everyone's suspicions that hey, yeah, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a cakewalk.
0: Yeah, and then. I guess, it, to me, things kind of turned around and we got a glimpse of what the series would would become in the second period when Karmalov mm-hmm. uh, blasts through everyone on the ice. Yeah. He he fakes backhand, snipes a forehand shot on, on a goal even by today's standards would be considered super fucking impressive. Yeah, <laughs> and this, it was beautiful. If, if I was a fan sitting in that building and you see that... The the, your head starts to turn a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then from then on out, it was kind of all Russia. Yeah, Um,
1: they dominated them offensively, defensively. They're just they were so technical with the game and their puck handling, their passes were clean. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah, it ended up being a 7-3 victory for Russia. The fans were kind of in utter shock, especially after the estetito you know, uh 30 seconds in. And, and like you said, everyone thought that, hey, these are the professional NHL Canadian all-star team. We should win. There should be no reason why we we'll Why we wouldn't win. Um, I do want to make one note. Uh, both Gordie Howe and Bobby Hull were on this team. So yep. Bobby Hull what I mean at the time was probably the biggest star in the league uh, debatably I guess and, and definitely one of the best players so I would have loved <laughs> to, to, yeah. to be part of this team just because I, I think this becomes a whole different series if, if he's there easily uh, but like I like I said this we'll, we'll move forward a little bit I know I after the um, after the game we basically get a quote um, from Sadine. uh Former Montreal, he just basically says, I I was stunned by their performance talking about the Russians. And then, former Montreal Canadiens coach uh, Claude Ruel commented that the Soviets' forwards were one of the most finely honed units that he had ever seen. They're always moving, never standing around. They headman the puck as well as anyone has ever done, and they always seem to be in the right place. Um, the goaltender, Ken Dryden, for Canada, said, we didn't play our game at all. After they tied it up, we started playing a panic type of game. Sometimes there were five men going for this puck at once. At the end of the game, Team Canada accidentally snubbed the uh, – and, and kind of the beginning of the feud as the follow-up to the end of this first game is Team Canada, I'm going to say accidentally in quotations because it's debatable on the, whether this was an accident. They didn't shake hands with the Russians. They just knocked off the ice.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I've seen the uh, I've seen the comments afterwards were like, well, we had no idea. I just I think they were so stunned that they just they, they had to take a moment to gather themselves and realize what what just happened. Um, they came back and they, they shook hands after every other game. But, yeah, it was definitely surprising to not see that at the end of a game. Yeah. And I mean, just because of how shocking it was to the crowd. And I, I think
0: you could look at it two ways. One, this is the start of the the true start of the rivalry. Um, yeah. Or two, I mean, either way you look at it, it's Canada was shocked, right? In general, so, easily. Uh, it's it's kind of a crazy thing. Uh, the game number two. This is where Canada just didn't take any shit. This is this your typical nineteen seventies NHL hockey. Mm-hmm. It beat the absolute fuck out of Russia. <laughs> yeah <laughs> physically beat them they didn't blow them out on the scoreboard that I mean Canada did win four to one, but if you go back and watch uh what this game was, it was a lot of Bobby clark uh beating the shit out of people um yeah, not even
1: people. not just that you had uh Wayne Cashman doing it you had peter mal uh Malovich. yeah, Malavich, yeah. Uh, which him and his brother were playing there was two sets of brothers on that team he had a uh, Tony and Phil Esposito and Peter and Frank uh, Mahavich playing together, which is really cool. I thought that was really cool.
0: It is cool. Uh, you know, we don't really see that in hockey as much. I no, mean, you don't. I guess with the Sedins, the, the that's that's the last ones, right? Or the last well, set.
1: You, also, you, have the, you have the Kachuk twins, but, I mean, they play for separate teams now, so. Yeah, I mean,
0: outside of the Sedins, the only other time I can think of it is when Niedermeyer left the Devils to go play with his brother in uh, Anaheim. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so that was that's kind of a, yeah. It was little, really
1: cool to see uh,
0: though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is it's definitely cool to see two brothers on uh, yeah. on the two sets of brothers on the same. Just team. beating the shit out of the
1: team. <laughs>
0: uh, and Canada, you know, like I said, they lots of hard hitting, tons of body checks, and Russia, of course, blamed the loss on the referee, which um in an international yeah
1: that's gonna come back in a big way (laughs) in
0: in in an international game you could completely i could completely agree with him by today's hockey standards um half the canadian roster would
1: have been misconduct and suspended
0: (laughs) so if you go back and watch this is one of the more fun games i did actually go back and, and watch the full game um after watching these documentaries and kind of reading about it because it, it just, the, even the clips they showed in the documentaries were just straight brutality. Yeah. Uh, so I had to go back and watch that one, but uh, they basically, you know, they said Frank Larson and Steve Dowling, let the Canadians get away with any, with everything. And in the notes that I took on this, to be fair, they kind of did, but it wasn't outside of what you've seen, uh, what you've seen during that time period with, you know, any of those top six teams. Or the original six with Montreal or Boston or uh the Rangers and, and the kind of games that those guys would get into. I mean that's it that was just hockey during that time period, and obviously <clears throat> playing on the Olympic stage it was a lot different. Um
1: and I, I guess we'll unless you have any comments on game two, will move on to game three. No, no, totally. Game three is really good too.
0: Yeah, game game three, uh Canada takes a 3-1 a to one lead, and it kind of looks like it. it this was going to be all Canada for the second game yeah. in a row. Um, and then Karmalov deeks Esposito uh, out <laughs> of his fucking pants and scores on a shorthanded goal. <laughs> and in was, my notes, uh, in my notes manier, like,
1: Petrov was the one that did it. Petrov. It well, was a beautiful deke, too. Well,
0: there's two shorthanded goals in this game.
1: Oh, I may be thinking of the other one then.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was two shorthanded goals and that's that's what that's what's kind of crazy. Um I, I, I after the game, Esposito said uh or or not Esposito, the coach uh, Ferguson said that uh that they had gotten overconfident. He was like, I was fooled. I, I felt that after we had taken the three to one league, the final score might be something like seven to one. But those two shorthanded goals when you score one shorthanded goal, it can turn it all around. But two, that's almost fatal. So that kind of sums up what that game is. It did end up being a draw. Um, yeah,
1: this was the only tie of
0: the series. The only tie of the series, which, I mean, basically, I
1: don't know if that was...
0: It's, all, it's weird that it's an eight-game series to begin yeah. with. I guess they would have ended it in seven if it, or four if Canada sweeped. I, they didn't... It was an exhibition game. These were all yeah. supposed to be exhibition games. So I guess they would have played all eight regardless. Um, but, that, I mean, that, the eight game, that they thought of an eight game series is kind of weird other than you get four in, in both countries. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's another thing to keep in mind with how brutal these games were. They were supposed to be exhibition games. Mm-hmm. The only
1: thing that was really on the
0: line is... is Nation, your your national pride, the pride for your country. Yeah,
1: exactly. This uh, is like bragging rights.
0: And two different ideologies, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Is 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 hockey better as a communist sport? Does can communists pr- produce these, or can communism produce these high level type athletes? Which, uh, as we noted, I mean they're called the Red Army uh, yeah. for a reason. Uh, I mean, at this point, Russia was churning out uh, athletes in any sport. Uh, during this time period kind of tr- drive that home um, yeah
1: look at rocky 4 man <laughs> yeah it <that> was terrifying
0: <laughs> yes yes and i mean <laughs> and, and and you know it's it's kind of crazy to think that these games meant so much uh to to that to, to, during that time period uh in canada but going back and watching and reading and digesting all of this information it's you 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 hear these interviews where people talk about it and they talk about like where they were what they were doing what they were wearing almost it's like if you ask someone here like where they were when jfk got shot like an older you know like my grandfather for instance would be able to tell you that um it's kind of the same thing but with hockey which is i can't really say that about any sports moment in history really outside of Outside of, you know, my team, the team that I follow, but I can't think of, like, a, right hand, I can't think of another huge sports moment that just it just pops up in my head. Like, this is, like, this is historical more than, like, just a, a moment in, in sports.
1: No, I can I mean, I got the Eagles winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and that was, <laughs> that's going to be, like, a national holiday in Philly. Yeah, I, I mean. Well, wait 25 years for them I, to win a Super Bowl, or 24 yeah, I, years to win a Super Bowl.
0: And I and I have those moments too. Like uh, as far as like, it just teams that I like. Yeah. But not just like not
1: like on a national level. Like like another one would be the Miracle on Ice. Where were you when the Miracle on Ice happened and stuff? Uh, it's there hasn't been a moment like that in recent times that I can think of either. Yeah. uh
0: So game three ends in a draw, and we moved to game four, which was oh
1: in- game four.
0: Uh, so what
1: a shit show <laughs> uh it,
0: it, it, we should know as we as we mentioned earlier, Russia trained all year round they played on the same team all year round. they didn't really travel except yeah. play in the international games that they played um uh, so they've been training for eleven months regardless of if if the series happens or not essentially yeah the Canada team was kind of thrown together in like two months
1: (laughs) yeah and they had like two weeks to get like start training and stuff whereas the Russian guys they heard about this like oh okay I guess we'll just train more then (laughs) (laughs) and it shows too with these games it shows the level of discipline and training that the Soviets had over the Canada team
0: yeah, and I think this is the, the you know this is where the conditioning. This comes is from. the
1: crowning moment,
0: yes. <laughs> because these games going you know so close together, Russia just outskated Canada all over the ice. They weren't able to play that NHL style they did in Game Two and Three because they just couldn't keep up with them. I mean, to me, they just really like they this is it looked like that Russia was playing high schoolers. Um, and you could tell it's just, it's, it was just conditioning. It's also the way that they were getting on and off the ice. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy to watch, but, yeah, uh, I mean, the big moment from this is Russia wins five to three Canada, Canadian fans,
1: Canada gets booed off the ice by their own country. Yeah. Like <laughs> and, not just like, not just like a couple boos here, that whole stadium sounded of booze and like, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine what that is like to have your own country booing you that hard and to feel that level of shame. Like I'm not, I I can't do this for my country. Like, what is this? Yeah. I'm sure you want to get into a. You want to get into Esposito's quote at the end of the game? It's goddamn legendary, is what it is.
0: <laughs> it is. This might actually be the most famous speech in uh, not just hockey history, but it can't get history in Canada <laughs> in sports. Yeah. Uh, All
1: the sweat pouring off of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: you can tell this. The, the, these guys did play their hardest. They just got in yeah. beat, and it shows. As Phil Esposito is talking, he's just drenched in sweat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it looks like he poured a water bottle on it. Said. Uh, yeah, and
0: he, and he basically just says to the people across Canada, we tried, we gave it our best. And to the people that were us, geez, I'm really all of us guys really disheartened. We're really disillusioned and we're disappointed at some of the people. We cannot believe the bad point got the booing we've gotten in our own buildings. If the Russians boo their players, the fans, the fans, Russians boo their players. Some of the Canadian fans. I'm not saying all of them. Some of them booed us. Then I'll come back and I'll apologize to each one of the Canadians. But I don't think they will. I'm really, really, I'm really disappointed. I'm completely disappointed. I cannot believe it. Some of our guys are really, really down in the dumps. We know we're trying. Like, we know we're trying like hell. I mean, we're doing the best we can. And they got a good team. And let's face the facts. But it doesn't mean that we're not giving it our 150 percent because we certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> i mean the more every one of us guys 35 guys that came out and played for team canada we did it because we love our country not for any other reason no other reason they can throw the money uh for the pension fund out the window they can throw anything they want out the window we came because we love canada and even though we play in the united states and earn money in the united states canada is still our home and that's the only reason we come and i don't think that's it's fair that we should be booed
1: i agree with them 150 percent like <laughs> As someone who just loves the sport of hockey in general, like, there are games where you're just not on. Like, everyone has those days. And to have your entire country literally booing you out of the building, that must be an absolute kick to the Nards if I've ever seen one.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you – and obviously I can't do this the justice that Esposito does. Um, but I definitely highly recommend if, you, if, you, if you're listening to this and maybe you don't want to watch a full documentary, at least pull up uh, that, that backhand from game one. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. And uh, this speech, because it kind of outlines a lot about the series in general. And, um, and, and that kind of heads us into to game five which is in russia i will note Are we going to
1: talk about the uh two-week hiatus here sure uh, when they went I, to sweden yeah
0: if you want if you want to get into that i don't have that pulled up in front of me but
1: yeah there's a there's a couple of things i wanted to mention with them going to sweden so after after this game obviously they had a uh, a two-week break for them to rest up get some conditioning and they also had a couple of exhibition games with sweden and the funny thing is they went into these Sweden games thinking it was going to be, like, easy and stuff. And, no, Sweden was just as hard as Russia, and they fought, too. They, they beat the shit out of each other. Uh, I think, uh, who was it, Wayne? Was it Was it Wayne Cashman, I said, who got stabbed in the face with a, with a stick? Yeah,
0: someone had filed a stick down, right? Yeah, someone
1: filed a stick down and stabbed him in the face with it, like, right in the mouth. Like, he had to get 150 stitches. Uh, I'm like, that... I, I should note that this is a literal skate to the throat moment because that is that is that is what I love about hockey.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and, and I, re- I remember like reading about that and, and kind of that 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 moment from the documentary. But the crazy part is he wanted to play and he was yeah heart- exactly. Gritty. He was heartbroken <laughs> that he couldn't play. This man yeah. so, <laughs> so he got
1: stabbed <laughs> in the face with a with a hockey stick. And he that, still wanted to play. <laughs>
0: that's, love, that's love for the game and love for your country, right there. And I think that exactly. says a lot of Canadian team. And also, um, was it? I think I believe it was Gala Point's wife uh, has a child during this, yes. and the entire team shows up to the hospital. So these two yeah. weeks are important in Canada, gelling as a team because they almost became a brotherhood after the Espositos. Exactly, um, and then. I mean, that takes us into, you know, the Ice Palace in Moscow, Russia, Game 5. 3,000 yep. Indian fans show up to this. I think probably, you know, a fire was lit under them by that speech. <laughs> so they decided to yeah. come to Russia. Uh, obviously, that's kind of crazy uh, for anyone to be traveling from either, you know, from the United States or uh, or Canada during that time period just because, just because it, it is crazy. The- yeah. It's crazy
1: War. to me to see the uh, to see Canadian fans acting like normal hockey fans and then to see the Soviet fans just completely stone-faced and looking miserable cuz I guess at that time they weren't allowed to like cheer for their teams and stuff it wasn't allowed it was public expression and as again as a hockey fan I can't I can't imagine not being able to cheer for a team
0: Yeah and there's some great moments in games 6 and 7 around the fans and also uh One of the press writers, yes, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which we'll get into. Uh, But we'll start with Game Five because Game Five, the Soviets won five to four, but this was by no means what we saw in Game Four. This was uh, a Canada starting to look like a better team, and uh, Bobby Clark just came out and said at the end of the game, "We're not a defensive club yet. We tried to play defensively." (laughs)
1: Right to (laughs) the (laughs) point.
0: That's that's the best quote I could pull from uh, Game Five. Um, I will I will admit that during Team Canada's stay in Moscow, the team's treatment uh, was the source of of tons of complaints by the players. Um, When leaving Sweden, the team was informed that their players would stay at one hotel, their wives at another.
1: Yeah, I'd be like,
0: Nah, man, I'm good. (laughs) So. uh, Canada just said, fuck it. We won't go.
1: You want to play games?
0: <laughs> uh, so then the arrangements were changed to keep the players and the wives together um, at the in-tourist hotel, which is just a, a hotel in should do at the time. But there were also things like the food that they had were was like half-portioned, and they were supposed to... Yeah, the to food
1: that they brought it. from Sweden was stolen, like all their <laughs> beer and all their meat was stolen. I'm like, man, come on. The beer...
0: so that's things to to note it's probably why they won because bobby clark wasn't able to get any beer in him and he was fucking pissed i think
1: we should also (laughs) mention during the opening ceremony phil esposito completely eating shit off of a flower stem yes and then looking graceful and blowing a kiss to one of the soviet (laughs) officials (laughs) like the absolute legend that he is
0: yeah, I mean, that, that was like, I had never seen that moment before. Like, I've, I've you know, I've watched some of these games, but I had never seen the Phil Esposito bust ass on ice yeah. moment.
1: That's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> um, and he just took it like a champion up and played exactly. the game. Exactly. He, <laughs> so, he made Soviet military officials laugh. You yeah. know how hard that is?
0: So when you when you look at the if you look, even if you just look up the photo for all there's all those out there listening he's literally laying on his back like if you flipped a turtle upside down. <laughs> <laughs> he he definitely he just falls ass over tea kettle. That's the best way to put it. Yes. Over uh, a
1: flower stem.
0: <laughs> we're going and and so just to just to keep everyone you know up to date right now we have two Russian victories one tie and one can- canadian victory right? yes so things are not looking good for canada to truly win the series
1: they need to win the next three games to can- win the series
0: so that just kind of sets the tone for game six which i labeled the turnaround <laughs> yes <laughs> yes canada wins three to two um i got some quotes here from uh, the, the sports editor of the Gazette, uh, Canadian players Ken, Ken Dryden and Brad Park turned in their first big games of the series. Dryden ended a personal losing streak to the Soviet teams, dating back to his amateur career and two previous games in the series. In his opinion, the Canadian pen- penalty-killing unit of Serge Savard, Peter uh, Mal- uh, Mavalevich, I, I can't I can never pronounce his name uh, so I apologize for that bill White and Pat Stapleton was brilliant as it held the Soviets to one power play goal despite the disadvantage in penalty minutes Savard and yeah okay so let, Savard himself was uh recovering from a fractured ankle during this series according to the commentator Brian Conacher the team candidate had adjusted this game <clears throat> to not play dump and chase but insisted uh, instead retain possession in the offensive zone so basically. If you look at the comment from Bobby Clark saying, "We try to play a defensive
1: game. We're not a defensive team." Yeah, uh, that that's what well they changed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and they adapted to it so well, and it opened up what nobody suspected for Paul Henderson to be a great freaking sniper. Yes, like, he was there on every breakaway. Every time Soviets had an Aaron pass, he was there to catch it. and He was just lethal with it, and we'll see towards. We'll see how big of a how big of an impact that makes on the series. But I think I wanted to mention, I think this is the game uh, that the refs were called out for being biased. And uh, J.P. Paris, father of Zach Parise, uh your devils, your longtime devil player. Uh, <laughs> he actually he chased down the ref and threatened to beat the shit out of him and was yeah. kicked out of the game. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he, uh, he. J.P. was not. He He wasn't a fighter. He he wasn't a fighter. He was kind of known as mild-tempered.
1: Yeah. (laughs) In this moment. He went to raise his stick like he was going to smash the dude with it.
0: Yeah, Yeah. he, like, pulled his stick up like he was about to swing it like a baseball bat and kind of just faked the swing, and I'm sure that referee shit himself. (laughs) (laughs) He
1: did.
0: I would have shit myself. (laughs) Um, Obviously, there's two big moments in this game. Yes, One, more. it's kind of the beginning of a hero, uh, which is Paul Henderson because yes, <laughs> his importance for Team Canada <laughs> going forward in this series is absolutely incredible. And according to Connacher, he said for the first time the Soviets had opened the door a crack, and Team Canada had rushed through like a freight train. Um, and and that, I kind of think that shows the the Henderson goal, but <clears throat> exactly. While maybe the refs were a little biased uh, in this game, you know that's the thing about hockey is sometimes it gets regulated in in other ways.
1: <laughs> I just I I can't imagine like you know these referees were sat down at one point in some dirty ass KGB room and they were told you're not going to fuck this up for us are you? Yeah. Like I, I I would be terrified. I would I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to ref. I couldn't. So, That'd be terrifying for me.
0: So. You want
1: to talk about
0: the uh, Slash? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the Slash. <laughs> Karnalov is just getting the shit kicked out of him by Bobby Clark the entire game. He's uh, he's in, he's uh, he's deking towards the goal, and Clark just fucking... Fucking
1: hunts him down. Slash him
0: down, down than I've across him.
1: the ice and breaks his ankle.
0: <sighs> breaks his fucking ankle. Um, the, the lifelong, or the question, I guess, for any fan during this time period and there's two different ways to look at this <laughs> is bobby clark was very smart and eliminated the best player on russia <laughs> exactly <That's laughs> or a you, move or you can look at it from the refs were very biased this game and yes bobby clark and justice on his own right so there's two ways to look at it and either way it's
1: not <laughs> it's not good it, if you're a soviet fan <laughs> that's for sure it's That's uh, a red butter right there that just went down
0: yes uh i will it's crazy to think about but this man came back out and tried to play the game on a broken fucking exactly. ankle yeah and i screwed.
1: just want to yeah i want to say as a as a side note to this larry Harlemov probably would have been one of the greatest players in hockey if he didn't die at the very young age of 33 um i believe he was also a part of the miracle on ice team for the soviets uh dude was an insane hockey player uh, and he passed away in a car accident at the age of 33. So uh, I just—it always makes me wonder what what could have been if he if he had stayed alive. He probably would be one of the greatest players in all of hockey. He yeah, a hell of a mark too.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, if you think about it, there's a reason why that you you have that the Ilya Kovalchuk wears the number 17.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, the dude was a hero. Uh,
0: so he I actually literal
1: hero. So
0: in the beginning of my notes and just from the game one notes when we were going through this stuff i just said this just then Karmalov might be one of the greatest hockey players of all time yeah because <laughs> uh, he was fucking phenomenal to watch if he, yeah. pairing his game i would i, I would say uh, as far as something from near that time period you'd probably have to look at someone like market uh the, you, you know the rocket richard yeah. <laughs> as far as he skated on the ice
1: and, and uh, played, but it looked almost modern. If you if you look at his old game footage, it's like modern game footage. It looks like the way he skates and the way he handles the puck. Yeah, I mean that.
0: I mean that first goal that we talked about, where he you know fakes that backhand and goes forehand. Yeah, it is like I said, it was impress. It's an impressive goal even by today's standards. Like it, it was really fucking great. So yeah, obviously uh, rest in peace. That it does suck that he had such a short career because yeah. Uh, I mean, we have a while to go. I think what was it, seventy-eight, that the first Russian player de- de- defected from Russia to play in the I think NHL it was
1: a little later than that because it's seventy-nine. Uh, Montreal was trying desperately to get a uh, Ladislav Tretiak, the goalie for the Soviet team, over, and they weren't letting it happen. I think it was right at the start of the eighties when uh, they they started allowing it. Yeah, um, okay. maybe maybe there might have been a defection. I'm not I'm not one hundred percent sure though. So, uh,
0: just to just to follow this up, I'm going to give you both players' points of views. So we're going to get Bobby Clark's, and then we're going to get as well. Um, we were going for the puck together. He pushed me with a stick, then turned around and skated away. I caught up with him and hit him hit him on the leg, not thinking at all where and how I hit. I could have hit him on the leg, but don't forget that they did the same things to me. I'm all for <laughs> fans. So the players who play tough hockey have to be prepared to get that same thing back. And I was ready for that. Soviet hockey had no fights, so the players used other methods to get the point across, like a little bit of stick work here and there, you know? And I personally don't mind that I'm a tough player and I respect toughness in others, but if I'm poked with a stick, I will do the same thing. We just had to adapt to the new ways of doing things. That's all. I love Bobby Clark so much. (laughs) Uh, Basically, he was saying because they weren't allowed to fight, he couldn't kick this guy's ass, so he hit him exactly. uh, You have
1: to improvise, adapt, overcome.
0: Uh, Kar- Karlamov, his quote, and I kind of lean towards what he said. Uh, <laughs> I'm convinced that Bobby Clark was giving the job of taking me out of the game. Sometimes I thought it was like his only goal. I looked into his angry eyes and saw his stick, which he wielded like a sword and didn't understand what he was doing. It had nothing to do with hockey. Uh, and Phil Esposito's quote from the documentary <laughs> was, "I would have killed those son of a bitches to win." <laughs> yeah. And he was asked about this, so that kind of just sets the mindset of where Canada is. Canada wins Game Six, four to three, on a beautiful Paul Henderson goal off a, a shit Russia pass, um, and it and off, yeah. <laughs> and off a
1: broken ankle.
0: Yeah, um, and off a broken ankle, and you know. I will note that Phil Esposito had two goals in the first period of this game, um, but Phil the Thrill strikes again. There's really three heroes for Team Canada, in, in my view of this entire series, and ones you know, one's Esposito, one's Clark, and the other one is Paul Henderson. Um, yes. So that's uh, let's get into this. So Game Seven, uh, they won by the score four to three. Esposito scored two two goals in the um the first period and the second period was kind of scoreless nothing really happened and uh Gilbert scores in the in, in the in the third to to put Canada ahead.
1: <clears throat> and, uh, was this uh, a game where uh I think this is a game where Paul Henderson took a nasty spell on the ice and they thought he wasn't going to be able to come back uh but he came back with a concussion and still was playing.
0: Yes, he comes back with with a concussion. Uh, that may have been Game Six, but he does
1: no. He no. That's this. this. Um, Was it Game Six? I think it might have been Game Six.
0: Yeah, and then this is a uh, so basically Russia ties up Canada three to three, and they end up skating into the like uh, Henderson's going down, and he he's just screaming to get on the ice, which he said he had never done in his career. Uh, mm-hmm. He pops on. There's it's there's like, he pops on the ice and he basically. He overskates and kind of falls and hits the board and he bounces back, like bounces back off the boards and pops like right up to his feet and there's just a juicy rebound right there and he scores the game-winning goal, yeah. in game yeah. seven. So this is two game-winning goals now for <laughs> for Paul Henderson. Let's keep this tallied. Um, that was kind of the big moment of this. Uh, he he said he didn't see the goal goal in. Uh, the goal light went off went on and off so quickly and Team Canada rushed onto the ice to congratulate. Henderson, so they couldn't really uh, couldn't really um, tell if the goal went in or not. There's some there's some debate on whether he actually scored the goal, basically. But um, goals are non-reviewable in 1972, so <laughs> it didn't really matter.
1: Uh, uh, it, I want to say this one uh, is where uh, I want to s- was it wasn't this one. No, it might be the next game. I know someone got stabbed in the shins with an ice skate, which is another skate-to-the-throat moment. Oh, someone <laughs> actually gets stabbed with a with a piece of hockey equipment, I want to say. I think it was yeah. Game 8 that that happened, but I cannot not mention that.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, game 8, Canada wins 6-5. We have what is known as the goal of the century and probably the biggest moment in hockey. Um, a great goal, too. It's a great goal. Uh, Russia basically... At this point, they can't play this NHL style. The team is clicking together. They're still great on the ice, and they're skating and they're competing. But they they kind of they wanted the five to five tie, so they were playing for a tie. They're doing things like dumping the puck and and just in the third period and just skating and just kind of in the final minute of play. Paul uh, with Phil Esposito, uh, Cornier on the ice. Paul Henderson stands up on the bench and just yells to get back on the ice. He said, and, and his quote was, I jumped on the ice and rushed straight for their net. I had this strange feeling that I could score the game-winning goal. Uh, Bobby Clark was supposed to replace Esposito, but Phil didn't come off. He's like, there's no way I was coming off the ice in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically – there was a pass to Henderson coming off the bench, and it was errant. It, it, it looked real shitty, but then two Soviets just couldn't get the puck out of their own end. No, nah, um, they
1: fumble-fucked the shit out of it. <laughs>
0: Esp- <laughs> Esp- Esposito shoots on Tretriak and then Henderson, um, who... who had fallen down behind the net gets up and this is the where the, the net's uncovered and he just rushes in recovers the rebound and and knocks it through so the gate the goal previously i had mixed up from uh, game seven but that that is it's it's insane like he flies off of the board pops up t- to his feet esposito had already fired like a slapper from i guess it was like near the top of the red circle or where the red circle would be in uh you know nhl hockey uh then the puck bounces out and he just tucks it away uh and that's 34 seconds left and that that that's the end of the game and I just yeah, want to uh, say
1: that this the, <laughs> the photograph that they have of this I would I would put it up there with Bobby Orr doing the dive and the Miracle on Ice because it is an absolutely iconic photograph um yeah. and I wanted to uh, say I was mistaken earlier when I said uh JP Paris attacked in that game. It was Game Eight that he did it. And also, uh, Sinan threw a chair on the ice. So that was another great moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's also there's moments where um, a member of the hockey press was almost assaulted by a, a Russian army, uh, so Soviet army, right? Didn't they? Yes,
1: and uh, I want to say it was Eagleson was. Arguing and stuff, and he started to get taken away, and half the hockey team came over there and threatened to beat the shit out of the Red Army with their sticks. Yeah, so they let him go. So there was a great
0: quote that uh, I think it, I can't remember if it was Esposito or not, but basically uh, he said, "I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with just a hockey stick against these armed <laughs> guards." <laughs>
1: The thing is, he raised it anyway. He didn't, get, he didn't care. He just was there. <laughs>
0: uh, it was. It's pretty awesome.
1: Uh, I love it so much. I love this series so much.
0: Yes, this is probably. I've watched. You know, I've watched a ton of Stanley Cups going back into the history. Um, obviously, the Miracle on Ice will be part of our next hockey communism uh, show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but this one, this series as a series and seeing canada go from being the heavily favored team to being the underdog and having to win three games straight is brilliant um all of the documentaries i watched about this has been great hopefully we, we gave guys a, a good kind of synopsis of this but this feud is to me this feud is this isn't a feud just that like canada versus russia this is the rest of the world versus the rest of the hockey world versus Russia. So, this one I think we had to address and talk about. Yeah, it's one of the biggest of all time, and, and we're going to get more into some of the team stuff, you know, team-based ones later on. Um, but I, I loved everything about researching this, watching some of these games, watching these documentaries, um, hearing interviews with people from Canada is just. Talking about how much this meant to them as a kid or, or uh, meant to them during that time of their life when they won, uh, it's it's incredible. I highly recommend – highly, highly recommend everyone go check this out. Um, check out the documentaries and, and, and do some reading and maybe even watch some of the games. Uh, obviously, games six through eight uh, would probably be the <laughs> the three to watch just
1: because – Yeah, it's just, just like great Henderson, hockey, but- great moments, great fights. A chair being thrown on the ice, someone getting stabbed with skates. it's got everything, yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a little bit of everything, and I think the <laughs> definition of uh skates to throat, so to speak, yes uh, I love Bobby Clark's comment on just well couldn't we couldn't fight basically, so we had to figure new ways to enforce. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when the refs split and I thought that was I think that was a great line and and and, uh it kind of plays into that slash in game six I I I guess coming out of this the question I would have for you is does team Canada win three games in a row if Karnaloff doesn't go down with an injured ankle
1: it's hard to say I look at this whole series as like an 80s movie okay the first half is like you know the team's not doing so great um and then there's that intermission where, you know, the montage happens. They're all doing the training and stuff. And I think the end of the montage is Karlamov going down with a broken ankle and then just coming back and just kicking. Like, there needed to be a moment that brought this team together, and I think that was it. Um, so if he did not get injured, it's hard to say, but I'm leaning towards no, just because I've seen how technical of a player he was and how how he responded to any situation you put him in. So... I can't say with certainty that, no, they wouldn't have won because it's hockey and, you know, nobody ever knows what's going to happen in a game. I think it would have been a lot harder for them to win, though.
0: I kind of lean towards Canada still would have won. I think it, they just had the momentum going in, winning two games. Yeah. A, um, especially doing it in Russia. I mean, that's the other thing, is they had to win three games in a row to win the series. But they also had to do it in Russia. as the Yeah, away- exactly. And uh, Soviet Russia. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Homemade
1: so vodka. <laughs> it is a uh,
0: it, it it was a tall task and and they just it, they just had the momentum. Um, I think that it would have been a different game and maybe if they're playing for a tie and Carlemoff is on the ice, they get the tie and then we just have a tied series, which would suck and we wouldn't have the nice almost Rocky Four uh-esque storyline
1: of this uh of what this series was it literally plays out like that kind of movie it's it's insane
0: it's i mean it's like i said i highly recommend everyone watch
1: this this had to be one of the first rivalries we talked about i think we did because play, uh, it's so huge and this like not just the soviet and canadian but the soviet against hockey in general are so many good rivalries because they were such a good team they yeah. lost in so many good fashions. I truly lost. <laughs>
0: they lost in so many good fashions, but they also dominated the Olympics. Exactly. It's, 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 they you know,
1: they, were, they hell- were the Ivan Dragos. They were the Ivan Dragos. <laughs>
0: um, but obviously Olympic tourneys turn out are, are a lot different than like a series. Um, and the summit series would go on to continue. Like this was a thing that they did throughout, but obviously
1: This is this is a very famous one. This was the most important. <laughs> yeah they took a half day in Canada on the last day to watch this game yeah
0: they no one worked they basically said, no. they, basically said <laughs> they, they shut down work. the country
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh
0: it was a Are huge and th-
1: there's hockey on get out of here
0: and guys I think that's it for us today that was our rivalry we went over some hockey news don't have a whole lot else for you but uh Dakota you
1: got any last things you want to get off before we uh yeah I, I saw this uh while I was rereading my notes and stuff uh Kampala, uh, one of the refs, the one that J.P. Paris chased out with a stick, he gave an interview after the series. He's like, when I recall these matches, my flesh creeps. Ten more such (laughs) games and I would age several years. I am very glad that I got back home uninjured. (laughs) 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 That's just... That alone says everything it needs to say about this series. I think that and... uh, (laughs) I think that and I would have killed those son of a bitches to
0: win. (laughs) Yes. And with that gonna leave you everyone have
1: a great week and uh it's it's, until next time all right